giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I'm also your host, Chad Pytel. And with us today is Devin Zugel, product manager at GitHub. Devin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So for those who are astute listeners of both the Bike Shed podcast and this podcast now, you were previously on the Bike Shed episode 191, not long after you first joined GitHub, right? That's right. Has your role since that episode and since joining GitHub changed? Oh man, has it changed? Um, <laughs> I think what, how long ago was that? I don't remember the exact date. I could look it up on my calendar, but uh, oh, I can tell you the exact date. It was March twenty second, two thousand nineteen. The episode came out. Yeah, he memorizes all <laughs> podcast metadata. That is very impressive. You are. I'm, I'm looking that. at the web page. It's not, it's not that it's not that impressive. You gave away your trick. No, I mean, my, my job has totally changed. Around that point, uh, we hadn't launched GitHub sponsors yet. We were obviously building it at that point. But there's a very big difference between building a product and having it out in the world and getting the feedback and incorporating that. Both stages are super fun. But I've got to say, having something in the world that's actually impacting people's lives is way better. So you mentioned GitHub sponsors. So you are the product manager for GitHub sponsors, right? That's right. So was that idea already in the works when you joined GitHub? And did you join knowing that you'd be working on that? Or did it emerge after you joined? Yes and no. There's a long history of open source funding questions at GitHub. You guys might be familiar with Nadia Eggball. She's actually a good friend of mine and a huge inspiration for my work. And she, she used to work at GitHub. And she originally was doing some independent research about open source funding and then she joined GitHub uh, as, a, I believe, a product manager, and she did a few other things. And she really set the stage, along with a lot of other GitHubers that I, I really, it's a really long list that I couldn't name them all, who were emphasizing how important it is to fund open source. And so there's a long history of it at GitHub. But at the same time, there wasn't an active project in the works before I joined for a lot of reasons, but basically it wasn't really the right time for GitHub to do it. And it was a sort of thing where this is a big challenge and it's, it's hard to get right. It's a very nuanced topic. And so GitHub didn't want to dive in until we felt confident about our approach. And so I actually joined originally as a researcher myself. I was doing a lot of interviews with a bunch of maintainers all around the world open source developers, people who use open source and trying to understand the issue from as many angles as possible. And then through that process, we designed what became GitHub sponsors. So that's a long way of saying uh, yes and no, <laughs> that it was both something that the company has been thinking about for a really long time. And there's a really deep amount of expertise to the company about it. But at the same time, the specific project was not yet formed until, until I joined. And what is GitHub sponsors? <laughs> Good question. GitHub Sponsors is really the financial infrastructure for open source. So it's a way to fund and receive funding for the open source that you build. And right now, it supports payments between individuals for what are called tiers. It's a pretty similar model to the way Patreon works, but it's built especially for open source. Ultimately, we see it as a way for people to build a, a career path in open source. My vision for it is I want 10 years from now, I want when three high schoolers are sitting around in a circle and they ask each other, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what are you going to do when you go to college? I want one of them to say, 
like a doctor, someone else says, says a lawyer, and the other person says, I want to be an open source developer. <laughs> uh, and so that's sort of the long-term vision of, of what GitHub Sponsors is. I'm in marketing for ThoughtBot, and I've learned a ton about open source, even since joining. So I think it could actually be useful if you gave us a quick description of what open source is and you know why it's important which obviously then leads into you know why github sponsors you feel is important wow that's a hard question so <laughs> saying that a project is open source to me is a little bit like saying that a company has a business model in the sense that open source is a lot of things and to a lot of different people. So the definition I'm about to give may not do this justice. And I apologize to people who don't fit into this definition because it really is so broad. But um, I say open source, it's a way of producing software and a way of, of consuming software that enables people to be more part of the process and potentially have more of a voice in the process. Now, the degree to which that happens varies a lot from project to project. Some projects literally just have their source code open, but then all the other decisions are made in a very closed way. And then other projects are completely open where like every single thing happens in a GitHub issue or like a, a public forum post. And there's like really strong rules around when decisions can be made. And then there's really a whole range of things in between. So I'd say it's it's a way of producing software that is less closed than the traditional proprietary ways of making software. But beyond that, it actually doesn't necessarily define itself as like completely open and always, which is a source of a lot of tension for different communities. Because I think different people going between open source communities expect different norms. And that becomes a challenge where some maintainers feel like they have to make some decisions privately because just building software is hard and making design decisions is hard. And I don't know about you, but I don't want people to see like the first draft of any essay that I write. And maybe you don't want to, people to see the first draft of an API you're building because when you do that, then they, people start criticizing it or they start m making plans around that draft, which you expect to change a lot. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to why some open source developers would want to keep their work private for periods of time. But then other people will come into that situation and think like, well, this is closed. This should be more transparent. This should not be as closed. This is open source after all. Uh, and so I think the word open is the operative word, but it's also the one that is most confusing and uh, is defined differently by different people. Given that ecosystem, when you're thinking about how do we as GitHub create a system to support open source, and like you said, with the mission of getting to the point where anyone could be an open source developer, like you said, it's a big, complex problem. How did you break it down and, and where did you end up for like the first version of GitHub sponsors? So the mandate that I had when I came in and started doing research was uh, how to make open source stronger and healthier and better and more sustainable long-term. And funding was one of many things in there, but it actually is not the only piece. I think like when people use the, the phrase open source sustainability, it usually immediately evokes money, but there's actually a lot of other things that need to happen to make sure that a project works well. And the research I was doing was regarding like really the entire breadth of tools that GitHub could either improve or offer open source communities so that they would thrive. And as I was doing it, the theme that just kept coming up again and again was that the biggest hole in what GitHub was offering to communities was money. And GitHub definitely 
has a lot of other things that we can build and improve on. And we're, we're making progress on that too. But the theme that came up again and again was money. And so that was through conversations and that was what sort of brought me down that path. But then I thought, you know, maybe it's just, uh, I'm asking leading questions or maybe, uh, it's just sort of selection bias in the people that I, I know and talk to and sort of my extended network. So to test that hypothesis and make sure that I wasn't in some sort of echo chamber in, uh, January, we published a blog post called let's talk about open source sustainability. And in that I sort of listed, I think it was about 10, different themes of things that could be counted as open source sustainability, where they could include things like better tools for governance. Uh, They included funding, of course. They included better moderation tools for conversations and ways to monitor abuse and so on. And uh, at the bottom of that blog post, we posted a survey that basically asked people, what is the biggest problem facing you and your open source community today? And uh, what would you like GitHub to do to solve it? Then we spread it as broadly as possible. We had like the GitHub account retweet it. It got on the front page of Hacker News, things like that. Uh, so it went way beyond my personal network. And the same results came in as basically what, what I had been hearing from people where really the top thing that people mentioned was funding. A huge percentage of responses included the words funding or like donations or something like that. And so that was the point I thought, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not just making this up. We're going to double down on this funding thing. We we have to build tools around that. Was there immediate buy-in from GitHub at large as like, okay, yes, we are going to tackle this? Yeah, it was actually amazing. I was a little skittish about it at first because, uh, I mean, frankly, GitHub just has so much other stuff that we've got to be doing. And it it seemed like this hadn't been top of mind for a a while. But I think Nadia and all of the other people at GitHub before me for really socializing this idea inside of the company and making it so it was just ripe fruit ready for me to pluck. Mm -hmm. Um, They like planted all the seeds internally and it made it really easy for me to come in and say like, hey, we all think this is important, right? And we have now the data to show and we have all of these like quotes from people talking about how important it is like the time is now to do this. And I was like ready to, to have a little battle. And then everyone was just like, yeah, of course we'll do that. And so it made my job really easy. So uh, thank you to all of the people ahead of me who laid those seeds. So this is both, you know, specific to this new product, but also just in general at GitHub, how do ideas go from that concept to what you eventually launch? Oh, I think it varies in every case. Mm-hmm which is fun, but also can be a little stressful because there's not really a process for it. Uh, I mean, frankly, it feels a little bit like founding something within the company mm-hmm. where you just kind of have to like put yourself out there and say like, we're doing this, who's with me? And then hope that other people stand up and join you. But then also another really big part is the leadership buy-in. So I've been really grateful of Nat and our entire leadership team. Uh, Nat is the CEO of GitHub, for those who don't know, who Nat's roots are in open source and he's seen his friends, you know, go through a lot of the challenges that I described in the research that I presented to the company. And so I think it was also a really easy sell for him where he was just like, yeah, this is clearly a challenge and GitHub wants to be the best place to be an open source maintainer. And so it makes sense that we should help these people make a living. And so I think a mixture of like Everyone at GitHub loves open source. So that was an easy sell. But then also having the really the air cover of Nat and the entire leadership team, they got it. And so it made it really easy to move forward. 
How long was that research process? Well, the answer depends. So I started doing the research last year in 2018, and then I joined GitHub full time at the end of December, which is when I sort of started to transition from researcher to product manager and like sort of internal champion of maintainers at GitHub. But a sort of tongue in cheek answer is that I feel like I've been researching these sorts of things for really, really years. <laughs> it's a little bit of a funny story here. So my background before this is I was a software engineer, but I also spend a lot of time thinking about land use policy in San Francisco, which I'm sorry, I don't fall asleep yet. As boring as it sounds. <laughs> okay, uh, where is this going? <laughs> and basically, San Francisco needs to build more housing is the, the long story short. And I see this as like a giant cooperation problem. And it's also a question of governance and how communities make decisions. It's a big challenge. And those sorts of challenges actually really are paralleled to the challenges of open source and how people make decisions about the infrastructure that we lay in our digital communities. Uh, it's just a question of like, there's physical infrastructure and there's digital infrastructure, but actually a lot of the challenges are very similar. And so I've been immersed in those problems in San Francisco for years. And it's actually how I met Nat originally. He and I did some work in a nonprofit for building more housing and, and trying to reduce the cost of housing in San Francisco a long time ago. And um, through that process, I saw just what an awesome human being he was and how effective he was also, uh, which those two things don't always come hand in hand, like someone who's super effective, but also really kind and really good values. Right. And so when, to be honest, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this on the podcast, but when the Microsoft acquisition was announced, I saw the headline, which is Microsoft acquires GitHub. And I was like, <laughs> oh, darn. But I didn't use the word darn. I used a different word. <laughs> but then I read the first sentence, which was, Nat Friedman is going to be the CEO. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, and so because I had had all of these ideas about open source before, and they were very similar to a lot of the things that Nat and I had worked together on in the housing policy space, I sent him a very opinionated email right after reading that headline saying, like, Nat, GitHub should do something about funding open source and like about sustainability and taking care of these communities and so on. Basically, there's a list of demands. And Nat emailed me back saying, these are some cool ideas. How about you come do something about it instead of just complaining? So that's a long-winded answer to your question. Uh, but basically, I feel like I've been doing research on this stuff for a really long time, but I just didn't really realize where it was headed until Nat told me, like, you've clearly thought a lot about this. How about you come do it in like a formal capacity? That's a great story. Do you have a sense for what Nat's mandate from, actually, I don't know, would it be from Microsoft or from the existing GitHub team uh, when he came on? Was it preserve this thing <laughs> as it gets integrated? I think preserve and extend. Mm -hmm. I think there was, this is now me speaking from a little bit of a place of ignorance since I only joined at the end of last year. GitHub has always been full of really passionate, talented people, but it hasn't always had the leadership to help those people reach their full potential. So I think Nat saw like GitHub is this wonderful thing. I want to keep it being wonderful, but also there's even more potential for it to be more awesome. Mm -hmm. And we have all of the pieces. We just have to put them together. We have all of the people that are necessary to make it happen. And so now I'm speaking for Nat here. Uh, maybe that's un unsafe and he should speak for himself. But from the inside, it feels like his mandate has been to bring the leadership to the company that it didn't always have and to unlock that potential and really give the company a direction. And I'm obviously pretty biased here, but <laughs> it feels to me like he's done a really amazing job at that. 
And it feels like really the golden years of GitHub. And I feel very lucky to be here at this time. So in terms of the logistics of GitHub sponsors, there's a couple of things that stick out to me when I look at what the first version of it is. And that is, you don't need to be someone who just contributes code to be considered a contributor to open source. And that seems really important to me that you can become eligible as a contributor to be sponsored by contributing bug reports, doing issue triage, documentation, all of those different things involved in open source. Was that something that was a no-brainer from the beginning in terms of this is what we're going to do? I think we didn't exactly frame it in those ways from the beginning, but Mm -hmm. it's very obvious to me that code is not the only thing that makes open source work. It's really just like an artifact. It's a very important artifact, but the thing that makes communities run is all the stuff around it. And I think an interesting fact is that like, as you become more involved in an open source community, usually your code contributions go up, but then you hit a point of like, you become the maintainer and you become a leader in the community. And actually your code contributions start to go down, at least as a percentage, you're spending more of your time coordinating work, architecting technical decisions, which is totally technical work, but it doesn't usually show up in a pull request talking to people, acting as sort of like the community's therapist, mediating disputes, designing the project. So if you look at these people and you only look at their code contributions, it kind of looks like they're contributing less and less over time, uh, which is totally backwards to me. Those people are the ones who are making it all work. And so it was very important that I, I didn't want people to feel like they could only join if they contribute every single day code to GitHub, because that feels like it's ignoring all of the the dark matter that sort of surrounds the code. And so that's a very important piece to us. And I think it was sort of something that just became obvious as we came to the end of like a lot of the people that we wanted to invite into the alpha before the launch were people who don't necessarily contribute code every single day. They, they actually spend a lot more time coordinating meetings and so on. Actually, frankly, the reason we called it out in like the launch blog post and in the keynote was because some of the people we invited were like, well, but I'm not really contributing code very much anymore. And I said, like, that's exactly why we're inviting you is because you're doing all of this other extremely important work and it's not fully appreciated because it's not visible. Correct me if I'm wrong, something that launched alongside GitHub sponsors was also the ability to put a file in your repo that pointed at other funding sources too, right? That's right. It's called funding.yaml. And it's sort of like a contributing file or a a readme file. Mm -hmm. And if you put funding.yaml at the top of your repo or under your .github directory, then you get a sponsor button at the top of your repository. When you click it, it will show all of the different funding models. And so you can, of course, put GitHub sponsors there if you're in GitHub sponsors. Uh, but you can also show off your open collective, uh, your Tidelift, your Ko-Fi, your Patreon and Venmos, uh, because open source is so varied. Uh, like when I was desperately trying to define it for you, uh, I sort of copped out and said like, well, open source is really a different thing for a lot of different people. I think people's funding models are going to be very different also to reflect that reality. Uh, And so while I think GitHub sponsors is a really good fit for for some people, and I'm really happy to see how it's, it seems to be improving people's lives and, and giving them new opportunities, it's not going to work for everyone. 
it doesn't currently support teams. And Open Collective has an amazing product for funding teams of people. And so this funding.yaml file is meant to give people a way to display their other funding models uh, inside of GitHub and, and help them get the funding in the way that they see fit. How was the response to the launch of sponsors from the community? So from my perspective, it was overwhelmingly positive. I was actually a little, I was bracing myself. Were you myself. holding your breath? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so so like historically, I've been a software engineer at various tech companies. And there's something different about like being the product manager who is sort of trying to be as vocal about it as possible and is a little bit more of like the front person um, where basically I expected people to attack me online <laughs> and that didn't happen yet. So, I mean, maybe I shouldn't jinx it, um, <laughs> but, but it, yeah, people were really positive. And my favorite part was there was a lot of constructive criticism. Mm. This is the very beginning of, of a long process at GitHub. And we're, we're really committed to uh, building out better funding tools for open source communities. And so it was really wonderful to hear people say, you know, this is great. It's a great start, but we want to see more. And it was honestly very validating where I'm here for the long haul personally. And our whole team really is. I, well, at least that's what they've told me. <laughs> and uh, it's nice to hear that we have job security, you know, like p- people want more stuff. And so it was overwhelmingly positive, but then also with feedback saying like, this is nice, but we also want more. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that means that we're going to keep building and, and there's really so much more to do. One of the things that may have been obvious that people were asking for more of is that you launched in, and it's still in limited beta now. So if you're a developer mm-hmm. who wants to be sponsored, you actually can't sign up. It's You have to join a wait list and you're rolling out new additions to people who can be sponsored, right? That's right. So we started with a beta because frankly, paying out to lots of people is a really hard thing to do, especially because we launched in every country that we do business, uh, which is operationally super complicated. And so we wanted to make sure that when we launched, it actually worked for people and we weren't going to just fail whale and and fall down. So far things are going well. So we've been ramping up the beta and inviting more and more people and like exponentially, I expect to be letting people off the wait list. But that was really important to us because like, again, doing payouts is completely new for GitHub. And when you're dealing with money, it's, it's really important to take it slow, I think and not just barge in and pay out as quickly as possible because you're going to screw up and we want to be sensitive about that. How are you doing the payouts across different countries? So there's a few different systems that we're using, which is part of the complexity. Currently we're using actually manual ACH and uh, wire transfers, but we're in the process right now of integrating the wonderful Stripe Connect, which is going to be available in 22 countries. uh, And that will allow us to do more programmatic payouts and display more information on the dashboard and so on. We're actively working on that now. So that should be in place soon. And once that's in place, it'll also let us scale a lot better. Because frankly, there's there's a wonderful woman named Dolly at our company who uh, like manually creates the payouts every month. And then like I send them out to everyone with invoices and there are potential math errors just because there's a ton of ton of invoices to send. Uh, and there's like the matching fund complexity for people who aren't familiar. We're, we're matching all of the contributions that people make through GitHub sponsors. So if, if you get $10 of sponsorships, the maintainer will actually receive $20 in return. And that adds some complexity. So long way of saying that we're, we're building out the system to make it much more robust right now. 
and that will let us let really everyone in off the wait list really soon. I love the fact that you didn't wait until you had figured that out, that you were willing to do manual payments and you didn't hold back launching and bringing something like this to everybody or to as many people as possible before you had been able to automate payments. Was that a difficult decision? It wasn't super difficult uh, because our team's philosophy is very much build the smallest thing possible that's useful to people, get it out in front of them, and then see what works and what doesn't, and then build from there. And so it was pretty easy to say, like, we could either wait another few months and launch this like really robustly, or we could experiment and like start solving people's problems now. And we'll actually learn a lot more along the way. And I think like it's tempting for sure to, to go the robust route and like, I can tell you, I've never launched anything that I wasn't like a little embarrassed about (laughs) where I'm like, oh man, like people will catch themselves on this little sharp edge and we have to clean it up. But you know what? That's like the most motivating thing ever where you put something out in the world and people will start to give you feedback on it. And uh, I think that's the fastest way to improve. It's really been my own personal philosophy too. Like I'm, I'm pretty vocal online, maybe to the detriment of the internet, but I tweet a lot, I blog a lot, and I, I try to publish things as soon as I'm comfortable with it uh, or, or actually right before I'm comfortable with it <laughs> because the world will give you feedback. It really is sort of the open source philosophy, right? Like people will improve your ideas and help you go towards a better direction uh, if you make it public sooner. Now, that's not to say that you have to do it immediately, but there's there's just a lot of benefit there. And uh, I've been really happy that we started as small and as lean as possible because it's helped us understand what our priorities are. And there were definitely some things that we thought were important that were a little bit less important after launch. And if we had invested a ton of time down those routes, it would have delayed our ability to actually start solving people's problems. Can you share the methods you're using to learn from the beta program? For sure. So my DMs are open for one thing on Twitter. I wake up (laughs) every single morning. Uh, Maybe this shouldn't be an invitation, but no, I wake up every single morning to like five to 10 DMs from maintainers all around the world. So that's one. We also have an open source support inbox where people write in with all sorts of things, uh, everything from like concrete feedback on the product where they're like, there was a bug here, please surface it all the way to like asking for advice about their life. And I I try to answer it. Not that I am necessarily the best source of advice, but I try to answer it or point them to resources. And then also for for folks who are in the beta, this growing list of people, we have a repo inside of GitHub where they can, they can open issues and like give us feedback and ask questions and things like that. And we have some documentation that's been really nice because it's actually particularly fun because it's, I've never been an open source maintainer myself. I've, I've contributed to projects, but I've never been like the admin of an open source repo. And it's been really fun to be the administrator of a repository. Uh, like yesterday, I made myself some issue templates because I realized that we were getting a bunch of questions that could be better answered by pointing them to the FAQ that wasn't well surfaced or by giving them sort of a format for bug reports. So that's a really big source of feedback as well, where it's a very high touch. And then finally, I also try to have a, a direct conversation with at least one maintainer every single day. 
which is a little bit like looser of a feedback loop because we end up talking about all sorts of things, not just GitHub sponsors. Uh, but it's really important to me that I, I have a, a deep understanding of how maintainers think and what the problems they face are. And there's really nothing quite like a direct face-to-face conversation over Zoom or in person if I'm traveling mm-hmm. to surface things. Like There are things that people in general just don't think to email you about but they do come up in a conversation and you realize that there's something that you can do. So um, that was a long list, but basically I try to have as many different inputs as possible into our product process because different people have very different communication styles and, and different types of conversations end up surfacing different types of feedback. So you launched GitHub sponsors at what GitHub calls GitHub Satellite. That's right. So what is Satellite? Uh, GitHub Satellite is our yearly international conference. So because two-thirds of GitHub, the company, is remote, and also I think it's 80% of our user base is international, it's really important to us that we host one of our two conferences uh, outside of the U.S. because it's just hard to get a visa to the U.S., and it's it's a long schlep. So we have Satellite in May. We had it on May 23rd this year, and that was in Berlin. And then uh, we have GitHub Universe, which is our other conference in November here in San Francisco. And so basically, it's a way to reach out to the community and make it easier for people to come. We've had satellites in the past in Tokyo and I believe in London. And it's just it's very, very important to us to be able to actually connect to people because you'd be amazed by how easy it is to, to accidentally not include people. Like, for instance, one of, oh, I guess another answer to your previous question is we also do monthly maintainer office hours where my whole team, including the engineers and the designers, all get into like a video chat with a bunch of maintainers. And my team is pretty distributed all the way from California to Chicago to Boston to Scotland. But there's a whole half of the globe that is not covered by us. And so we realized that we were only holding maintainer office hours really in like American and European and African time zones and and South American time zones and like really not at all in Asia. Uh, And so we've been scheduling a few of these office hours now to happen later in the evening so that Asia can participate as well. Uh, But it's just so easy to accidentally like chop off an entire part of the globe because of time zones. So the, the conferences there are supposed to ameliorate that problem a little bit. Did you know that you were going to launch at Satellite well in advance or, you know, what was the interplay between the self-imposed deadline of launching at Satellite and the actual product development cycle? So I'm the kind of person who could just do research my whole life and like never be convinced that I know enough to to move forward. (laughs) Uh, So this is one of those places where Nat's leadership was incredibly valuable. I basically had all of these different proposals of the things we could do. And like, I was developing all these master plans and like, I think they were pretty good, but I, I also was like, but I, I want to learn more. There's more stuff I need to know before I can do stuff. And that was like, that's a great plan. Let's do it. Let's launch it in a few months. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Are are you sure? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, let's do it. I'm never fully confident that I know enough. And so it's really valuable for me to have someone to be working closely with someone who can say like, you guys are ready. Let's go do it. And uh, that was an incredibly good nudge. And I'm infinitely thankful for him to do that. It was a great interplay. Once you got started, was there a chance that, oh, you were worried you weren't going to make the deadline? We were not worried we weren't going to have something out. I think we were concerned that we wouldn't have something we were proud of. 
which I can happily say that I'm, I'm really proud of what we launched, uh, though also embarrassed because there's so much more to do. <laughs> we weren't concerned that we would get the payments in and the most basic stuff, but we were afraid that we were going to be creating more work for open source developers as opposed to less. And so, like for instance, one of the one of the features we didn't have time to build before launch, but we're currently building is a way for maintainers to better easily track the rewards that they want to give to their sponsors. Currently, they have to do it pretty manually. And that's not great because the whole point is that we're trying to take work off of their backs and not create more work for them. I think launching without that was fine. And I, I think I'm still glad that we did it. And I think that it's on net, you know, giving them more tools and supporting them more. Uh, but we were afraid that if we did it way too bare bones, that we would leave them you know, just with a lot more additional work. We built other tools, like one of the things that was included in the launch is a newsletter update feature. So you can send newsletters to your sponsors. And that was pretty important to be able to communicate with them and to be able to start getting them some of their tier rewards. So yeah, I'd say like we weren't worried that we wouldn't be done, but we were worried that it would be too bare bones upon launch. Uh, and I feel like we actually hit the right spot. It was pretty bare bones and it was sort of the minimal thing that was useful. I think if we were missing anything that we we did end up launching with, it would have been too little, but we did launch it as, as quickly as possible. So it does sound like having that imposed deadline and launch date and you're going to get up on a stage and talk about it was <laughs> helpful in this process, if, if maybe oh, yeah. a little bit stressful. It was a little stressful, but to be honest, I feel like that's when I personally do my best work. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that that's true for everybody, but there's really nothing like having to go up on a stage and announce what our entire amazing team has been working on that really motivates you to want to do a good job. So I find it super motivating. How do you know when beta is over? Is it trying to hit a certain amount of users or you know you're waiting on certain features are you setting another one of those timelines how do you think about that so the beta will be over when we are really confident that our payment infrastructure can handle it and that dolly is not drowning <laughs> under a tsunami of paperwork and that's going to be pretty soon i don't have a specific date but basically we're going to sort of double the number of people in the program repeatedly until like each doubling doesn't hurt anymore <laughs> And then we're like, okay, this feels good. And then we'll just open the floodgates. And frankly, our system right now is not prepared to do that. But pretty soon, I think it will be, especially once we have the Stripe Connect integration that will make our lives so much easier. So basically, the answer is like when adding people isn't painful uh, mm -hmm. and adding people rapidly isn't painful. So I imagine there are companies and organizations that will become large sponsors. Are you talking to corporations around what they're interested in? Oh, totally. So the sponsors that launched in May is just for individuals to sponsor other individuals. Mm -hmm. But open source is a team sport. And also individuals are not the only people who consume open source. In fact, the biggest consumers of open source are companies, as you pointed out. So that's definitely on the horizon for us. We're having a lot of conversations with different companies about what would be useful. And I, I really see this as a new paradigm. I think a lot of companies have wanted to support open source, but it's been hard for them to find really constructive ways to do that. There are some that are out there like uh, ThoughtBot itself has made a lot of contributions to open source, which is a big part of sustainability. A lot of companies will pay for developers to work full time. That's a really good way to give back. 
but I think for the most part, companies have a hard time finding a way to meaningfully contribute just because it takes a lot of local knowledge in, in the sense of like, I think the reason ThoughtBot has been so effective at supporting open source is because you guys really got your hands dirty and you've, you've gotten into the Rails world, you've contributed to Ruby and all, all sorts of things. And there's just a deep amount of expertise there. But not every company can do that. And we want to make it easier for people to give back in different ways. And actually, I see GitHub sponsors as sort of one more way to contribute to open source. So maybe you can't contribute your code, maybe you can't contribute your time and your energy but you can contribute money. <laughs> That's one thing that especially Silicon Valley tech companies have a lot of extra uh, lying right. around is they, they can definitely fund this open source. And right now, most of that energy goes into funding conferences and like swag. And while I love conferences and I love swag, I think that that's probably not on the margin. It's not the highest value use of those funds. And I think companies realize that. I think they recognize that while conferences are great, a $10,000 contribution to a conference would actually like maybe result in a lot more awesome open source if it went directly to one of the contributors. So yeah, we're, we're definitely talking to companies. We've had a huge amount of interest. I think people realize that this is really cutting edge stuff. And they also depend on this open source. And they're afraid about the state of open source, where, where a lot of the infrastructure that they're building their companies on is maintained by a single person. Mm -hmm. That's a frightening thought. Or it's a little bit morbid, but the other day I was walking around Austin, Texas with a bunch of the maintainers of major libraries in Python land, like scientific computing Python. The maintainer of SciPy was there, NumPy, a few other like major libraries. And we almost got hit by a car crossing the street. Oh my um, gosh. And if that had happened, like the entire scientific Python computing world would have just like crumbled. <laughs> I guess that's what they call it a bus factor, right? right. Um, and so it's a sort of thing where companies recognize this reality and they're afraid, but they just like don't really know what to do about it. So I think GitHub's an amazing place where we have both all of these companies using GitHub, uh, but also all of these open source projects using GitHub and we can connect those two communities. So you mentioned that you're working on something to help people manage rewards. Are there other things that you're either actively working on now or thinking about that you expect to have come out and be what's next for GitHub sponsors? For sure. So our top priority right now is getting out of beta so that everyone can join. And the main focus of that is just making it so we can handle scale better. That's our focus for the summer. And then that, that includes both the scale for payouts, but also you know, it's a new product. So there are sharp edges that people have sort of cut themselves on. And we want to, we want to polish those all off. That's where the, the feedback in the maintainers repo has been so valuable, where they say, you know, there's, there's this part of the flow that creates problems for me, basically. And we, we're, we're trying to improve all of those things before a flood of people come in. And then the other two things that we're really focused on is that we touched on briefly before, but corporate sponsors, we, we really want to be able to make it possible for companies to, to sponsor because there's so much interest and there's really just a tsunami of money that's like waiting to, to come in. So we want to unlock that. And then also teams of people. We're not exactly sure what this is going to look like. This is still much more in an exploratory phase, but open source is a team sport. It takes a lot of people and a lot of open source projects, you don't really want to give just to the individual. You actually want to give to a team as, as a group of people. And so we're figuring out exactly what that will look like, but we're starting to explore some of those things. And we have 
an advisory panel of a bunch of open source projects who are guiding us on that and helping us understand what their challenges are and where we could potentially offer some better tooling. So scaling corporate sponsors and sponsored teams. Awesome. Well, I think I can speak for everybody that we sincerely appreciate all the work that you've done on GitHub sponsors and look forward to everything that you're going to achieve with it in the future. And thank you. Thank you. This was really fun. If folks want to follow along with you or make sure they're getting updates about sponsors, what are the best ways to do that? We send periodic updates to folks on the wait list. So, so if you're interested in becoming a sponsored developer, that's, that's one way to get updates. I also tweet profusely, but if you follow, you could follow me on Twitter and I will definitely talk a lot about GitHub sponsors. And then also we have this blog series called Maintainer Spotlight, where we do profiles of developers in the program and they talk about their experience and so on. So that, that would be probably quite interesting to folks too. Great. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on. I learned even more about open source. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is really fun. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.